You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is a Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. David Locke along with the Washington Post national columnist, Ben Golliver. We got a full night, a full docket to be talking with. And we got a team you wouldn't suspect with the best record in the NBA by the end of, at the end of tonight. But first, welcome Mr. Golliver in. He went after Shaq in the Washington Post. He, he's, a, he's a big man, Ben. I understand that, but I think he could take it. Look, I mean, he dishes it out. He could take it. I think he said on Instagram today that he's got G14 classification status log, which means he can say whatever he wants to any NBA player that he wants. Look, I wasn't that upset necessarily with his, his desire to see more from Donovan Mitchell in terms of, you know, stepping up and becoming this, you know, perennial all-star level player to carry the Utah Jazz deep into the, uh, the playoffs. What bothered me, I just thought he was misunderstanding what was making the Jazz good right now. And to me, it's just been the unselfish ball movement. It's actually been Donovan Mitchell not chasing his own individual numbers and being willing to kind of buy into this system where everybody moves the ball around the perimeter and, and people get wide open catch-and-shoot threes. You always have four shooters on the court. And, you know, right now it's just really working for Utah. I mean, 10 straight wins is no joke, especially in a season where guys are in and out of the lineup. I think Donovan, uh, if I'm not mistaken, had a concussion, right? So he didn't even play tonight. And to have a, a team rolling with that level of consistency and momentum is not easy in a normal season, let alone this one. And, and to me, it was just the wrong story to be talking about with the Utah Jazz. I, I thought that uh, their winning streak deserved a little bit more love, a little bit more positive spin, and this idea that they're doing it collectively rather than just putting everything on their superstar shoulders. I just thought it was backwards. All right, we got 13 games to talk about tonight. We'll do a bunch of lockdown nows with our local experts on the biggest stories. We were going to start with L.A. and Philadelphia. It's the story of the night. But I do, since you've led us into Utah-Dallas, rather than going back to it, let's start there for a second. The Jazz have won 10 straight. They've won 9 of the 10 by double digits. They're running people out of the gym on a regular basis right now. They have the best record in the NBA. They're taking over 40% of their shots as threes. They're making 40% of them. few stat notes here. I happen to be well-versed on this team. The Jazz are the – there have only (laughs) been five teams in the history of the NBA who have ever taken 40% of their shots as threes. Last year's Dallas Mavericks shot the highest percentage at 37%. We're 25% of the way through the season. They're shooting 40% on 40% of their shots being threes. They could be playing Houston Rocket three-point shooting game, Dallas last year, the first team ever to do it with elite-level shooting. Well, like I like to call that the 40-40 club. They could be the first team ever to get into that 40-40 club with you know basically 43s a game, 40% shooting, which is just crazy to think about. What I love about it from Utah's perspective is this was a team that was always synonymous with never taking three-pointers, especially before Quinn Snyder got there. You go back to the Jerry Sloan years, Many seasons, they're bottom five in three-point attempts. Some seasons, they're actually dead last in the NBA. They basically were not above average, league average, until Quinn Snyder got there. It got another boost once Donovan Mitchell showed up. And you look at all the recent moves to kind of build around Rudy Gobert here the last couple of years. It's all been shooting, shooting, shooting. And it's so funny to me because this is basically an entire veteran rotation, right? And usually it's the young teams that are starting to get a little bit frisky who everybody gets excited about on the Internet. They let people down, but then the next year they have the breakthrough that everybody was expecting. 
that's kind of the Utah Jazz to me right now. Like, this is the version of the team that I was expecting to, to see last year once they added Bojan and they, they kind of, like, made that big, uh, you know, spending spree. They go out and trade, uh, you know, for Mike Conley. All the pieces are coming together, and it just didn't really all sync up last season. And then, you know, fast forward a year, and boom, now it's kind of happening before our eyes. So it's funny. I felt like I was uh, you know, ahead of the schedule on them last year. They let me down, and then I turned it back around and, and making uh, true believers out, I think, of uh, a lot more people. The inside scoop is that during the pandemic suspension, Quinn Snyder went and reviewed his team and rebuilt it during the bubble pre preseason of the bubble. The team that came out in the bubble shot 40% of their shots as threes. He used that time to rebuild this and change this team. They then brought back the exact same team for another training camp, and they have a continuity that no one else in the league has. They have the best record in the NBA. How far off the Clippers and Lakers are they? Well, I think if you're saying in a a playoff matchup, it's going to be tricky. They're going to have to play lights out because they don't have the top-end perimeter versatile you know, multi-positional score playmaker type guy. Now they do have some guys who can do a lot with the basketball. I mean, Joe Ingles for sure qualifies there. Donovan Mitchell, obviously. I think that in those kinds of situations, you're still tending to favor um, the Lakers and the Clippers. And certainly I've been impressed with the Lakers night to night consistency this season. I do feel like they're coasting slightly, but still the advanced numbers love them. And I think uh, if you've got LeBron in a playoff series, you're always feeling his, uh, you know, feeling good about your ability to outthink him or for him to outthink the opposition and to exploit mismatches and those kinds of things. But, I mean, I think it's a very fair conversation to say, hey, look, you know, Jazz versus Clippers. Couldn't Utah do what Denver did to the Clippers in last year's playoffs? I know it's a different Clippers team. I know they're succeeding and shooting the ball very well themselves. But I think when you've got such an, you know, such a three-point heavy offense and you've got so many dependable shooters, it gives you a really, really high ceiling and it makes you a tough out in the playoffs because if they if you've got it going, um, you know it, it just turns into a shootout immediately. And as we saw, there can be some real swings in, in momentum within series last year, especially during the bubble. If you don't have crowds and you don't have you know true home court advantage and all those things, so they're a team I would be circling. I wouldn't want to play them. And I think if you're putting them into like a second round matchup with the Clippers, I think the Clippers are going to be favored, but I wouldn't say by a ton. All right, the game of the night was the Lakers and Philadelphia 76ers. Sixers got up early. Lakers battled back. Sixers held them off, win at 107-106 tonight. It's a big win for Philadelphia. A little bit of a surprising night for the Lakers. LeBron was still brilliant as always, but this is a big win for Philadelphia. It was, and they treated it that way too. I mean, it kind of felt like their Super Bowl because they had not really played anybody throughout the first month of the season, and I think that was sort of the knock against them. They had a very home-heavy schedule, and they had a very weak schedule, right? So everyone was kind of saying, well, where's your quality wins? I was certainly in that camp too. Now, this looked like a quality win, you know, start to finish until the last couple of minutes. And Philly gave up this gigantic run. They nearly blew the game. Doc Rivers is on the, uh, on the sideline just holding his head like, what's happening? And then out of nowhere, Tobias Harris kind of pulled a rabbit out of his hat, hit a really tough game winner, contested uh, to give Philadelphia the victory. I mean, it was a really tense late game moment. And the Sixers came away really excited about it. Listening to their post-game press conferences, you know, you've got, you know, Embiid kind of campaigning for three All-Stars, you know, himself, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris. You've got Tobias Harris saying, you know, this is a, a win that they can really build from. And they had kind of circled it because they had heard so many people doubting their resume kind of coming into this game. You know, the unfortunate part was a, a really, uh, you know, strange exchange of flagrant fouls. LeBron shoved Joel Embiid out of the air. He landed very, very hard. 
Embiid uh, fought through it, played through it, uh, but he, he was laboring down the stretch of that game. You rarely see LeBron get called for a flagrant, and you, you could have arguably ejected him for that foul. And then a couple of minutes later, Embiid came back, elbowed Anthony Davis in the face, and got hit with a flagrant foul too. So you got a little bit of chippiness. Now, I wouldn't predict that these two teams are going to really face off in the NBA Finals, but if somehow we do get there, I can promise you, people are going to be running back those highlight clips of those flagrant fouls and saying, hey, remember back in January when this happened? Just to kind of build a little bit of buzz. But entertaining game, and I think a statement win for Philadelphia, and Embiid played you know, rock solid and, and looked great, especially early in that game before the injury. Neither team shot a lot of threes. Neither team shot well. Philadelphia was 9 of 25. L.A. was 8 of 24. Is this a credit to the defense of these two teams that that took place? Neither of them shot well from the free throw line either, frankly. Uh, both of them were in the 60% range in the free throw line. Was this a credit of defense to these teams that you had that level, that poor shooting? Or was this that neither of these teams are really built around three-point shooting? Well, the Lakers can shoot the ball pretty well usually. They were, they were off. They started slow. They got hot in that late push that I'm describing, but it was just sort of an off night. There was a lot of settling going on, all things considered, from the Lakers, and I would kind of chalk this up to maybe just slight complacency. I mean, they did show some resolve late in that game, but uh, there was a lot of you know deep threes from LeBron. You know, Anthony Davis is not shooting the free throws very well. It's very uncharacteristic for him. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. You know, night to night, he has not been that just lock in, pencil in his stats, pencil in his huge impact guy especially recently. Um, so I don't know if that's just, you know, a, a pandemic-related slump or if there's something else going on there, but it was a, a little bit strange to see the, the missed free throws from him. The one concern that I saw from Philadelphia's standpoint, they had a really hard time defensively containing Schroeder off the dribble. And, you know, in, in part because, you know, you look at their guards. I mean, it's a guy like Danny Green who's a little bit older, maybe not as quick as he used to be. Or it's, you know, a Seth Curry who's, you know, I think a lot of times gets picked on defensively. So, that looked to be a slight hole for them. They did a nice job overall defensively. Embiid had a number of very well-timed blocks or, or shot contests around the basket. But Schroeder was getting loose off the dribble and really causing problems for Philadelphia. I'm not sure if they've got the personnel to kind of address that type of thing. Uh, or maybe that's something they have to look at as they're going forward towards the trade deadline. Digging to Denver with another win. Brooklyn survives. Cleveland, Milwaukee, San Antonio, Oklahoma City all with surprising performances. And we've got the local experts on all of those as well. Today's show brought to you by Bet Online. AG, the sponsor of Locked on Bets. Did you catch that? Locked on Bets called the 76ers beating the Lakers as their lock of the day yesterday. How did they pull that one off? Lee Sterling, the handicapper. Your boy Q is the host. It's a great deal of fun. It's 15 minutes. It's the fastest moving, quickest taking betting show out there. And it's all brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. Get 50% off as your welcome bonus or 50% bonus as your welcome from betonline.ag. That's right. Free money for you. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You get a 50% welcome bonus the nba is rolling nhl games are out there super bowl prop bets every day with a new one this week and next week on locked on bets so don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in the action and don't forget to use the promo code locked on to receive 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook expert and visit our good friends and exclusive partner at at bet online underscore ag to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business again promo code locked on for your free sign up bonus that's betonline.ag and today's show also brought to you by Built Bar with Built Puffs now out there. Also, Ben Golliver, a new product for you to consider. Built Bar with the promo code locked on. Candy Bar, Protein Bar, 
You decide. But either way, it's healthy. The macros are amazing, and the flavors are through the roof. Built Bar with 100% chocolate in every bar for you. If you're a nut lover, I'm not because I can't eat nuts because why they would kill me. If you are, peanut butter chocolate seems to be the favorite one out there from everyone. That's what's talked about. Or the coconut uh, chocolate, everyone says, uh, feels like a little bit like a almond joy. I don't. I like the coconut chocolate without the nuts. The coconut almond is the one that tastes like the almond joy. The Mounds Bar would be the ones that the chocolate, again, candy bar or protein bar, you decide. It's all at BuiltBar.com. Promo code locked on gets you 20% off. They got the Built Bites for little bits of awesome. They got the Built Boost for immunity defense, which is kind of like an emergency. If you drink that, I do every single day. And they now have the Built Puffs, light as a cloud, heavy on protein. Check them all out at BuiltBar.com. Promo code locked on gets you 20% off. Uh, let's go take a quick check on some of the games before we dig into Denver's win, Miami's struggles. Let's find out. Let's take a quick check. Go over to Chris Manning of Locked on Cavaliers and get his take on the Cavs. 122-107 win over Detroit. Hey, Chris Manning here, one of the co-hosts of Lockdown Cavs, here after the Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Detroit Pistons 122-107 to on Wednesday night in Cleveland. The Cavs improved to 500 with the win. Uh, Cleveland in a position where they just played a really tough game against the Lakers, and the big story coming out of this one is their ability to just bounce back. They had a sluggish first half. Andre Drummond kind of had a lethargic first half, and while they had some really good moments, the Cavs were able to really dominate the second half, outscoring Detroit 36-26 in the third quarter and 32-25 in the fourth to win by 15. Uh, and also, no, Darius Garland returns to the starting lineup after three games coming off the bench. The Cavs are limiting his minutes, and in this one, he scores 14 and has four assists to get the Cavs back in the win column. And, and also, no, Colin Saxon, 29 on 10-14 shooting. So, young backcourt doing their job. Cavs win. They're on to New York. Check out Lockdown Cavs for more. 29 for Colin Sexton in that one, Ben. How good is Colin Sexton? 10 of 14 from the field last night. Obviously, that game against Brooklyn, he opened eyes the other day. No, absolutely. I mean, there was a couple of games against Brooklyn where I think he had a, a nice showing. I mean, of course, the 20 straight is what you're talking about, which was sort of his breakthrough, breakout performance. He was a guy who looked lost a lot last season and somebody who I lost a lot of faith in, frankly, because I just wasn't sure – does he have too much blinders? Is he just too predictable off the dribble? Is he just looking for himself too much? And he settled in the game, you know, as it tends to do as guys age and progress. The game's slowing down for him a little bit. He's much better at picking and choosing his spots. And he's showing a nice ability to be a shot maker as well. Um, you know, their overall offensive efficiency still leaves a lot to be desired. And that Cleveland team is really winning on the strength of its defense. And it's going to be fascinating. What do they do at the trade deadline, Locke? Because they've got these centers. They, you know, they're obviously playing for the future with a very young core, but they're going to probably hang around in the playoff mix or at least the play-in mix for the foreseeable future because there's so many bad teams in the Eastern Conference right now. It's kind of allowing a team that plays hard every single night and it's got some interesting talents to stick around. So do you do a sell-off, right? Are you buying guys out? Are you trying to pursue trades for future draft assets? Are you playing for the future? Or do you let this group try to have a shot and see what they can do? Now, I'm not anticipating they're going to win a playoff series by any stretch, but you do have to kind of balance the future versus the present when you've got a team that's kind of outperforming expectations as much as Cleveland does. That's just one team I've got circled as we get closer to the trade deadline in terms of 
you know, where does their organization, where does their front office think they are right now? That's why I love the playing game. I think the playing game is outstanding. Uh, first of all, I think it makes you rush for six. Like, six really matters, which suddenly didn't used to matter at all. So you've suddenly made five and six really matter. You don't want to be seven or eight. And if you can be nine or ten, the Knicks fans are suddenly engaged. Cleveland's engaged. I think it's great. You know who might have a struggle making the playing Or it keeps a team like Miami in the playoffs. Miami's a mess. <laughs> Holy smokes. I mean, Denver, yeah. I don't know. What's a bigger story in that one? Denver winning their fifth straight or Miami just being an unmitigated disaster? Yeah, Miami's had a lot of trouble with just having guys on the court healthy and available to play. I don't know if you want to say that's a bubble hangover in some cases. I don't know if you want to just attribute it to the health protocols in some of these cases as well, but they just haven't had their whole group together. And that's really what made them work during the bubble playoffs. I mean, up until all those injuries in the finals game one, you know, it was just locked, locked in together play. Uh, you know, guys being unselfish, buying into the system, and then everybody out there playing, you know, well-balanced, scoring on offense, and not putting too much on any one guy's shoulder. Now, Jimmy Butler stepped, stepped up at times during the finals, but it was very much this collective effort. And when you're missing major pieces from that collection, it's a big-time problem, and it showed. I would give, actually, a lot of credit to Denver here, though. They're absolutely rolling. They had a couple of really big overtime victories recently against Phoenix. I think it was just big for their psyche. It was big for them to get Michael Porter Jr. back in the lineup. He hit a, a really clutch three down the stretch of one of those games that kind of was a confidence booster for him. And Jokic is just playing out of his mind right now. I might have him number one in my MVP uh, race right now. If not number one, it's like very, very close. Now, I know their record holds them back a little bit because they did get off of a slow start. But they're playing great basketball right now, better than just about everyone outside of Utah in terms of you know current hot streaks. And I think from that standpoint, uh, they're getting back to being the team that we sort of expected they would be uh, coming into this season rather than the team that they were for those first couple weeks of the season. I was just about to ask you that on Jokic. Like, it's interesting. I thought it was an interesting discussion. I saw uh, maybe it was the jump. Like, is the big man back, right? Like, is Jokic and Embiid probably your lead MVP candidates in the league right now? Yeah, I would, I would throw in LeBron. I would throw in Paul George. But, yeah, I think those those two guys are absolutely two of the top four, no matter how you slice it. You could argue they're, they're two of the top two. And they do it in such different ways. You know, with, with Jokic, the playmaking has always been amazing, but it's, a, it's an even different level right now. I mean, some of these passes, it's almost like he could do them with his eyes closed. And in some cases, he's completely no-looking to three-point shooters halfway across the court beating two defenders with the pass and just having it perfect into guys shooting pockets. And you're thinking, I have never seen passes like this before in the history of the NBA, uh, you know, with the possible exception of a LeBron James, right? I mean, it's just a ridiculously high skill level, but he doesn't score in two. He's got every move you could want down the stretch. He's so trustworthy because he can get great shots. He can even hit difficult shots too. I mean, it's like him and Kyrie, are both, you know, they're such different-looking players, but they both love having the ball in their hands late, and they're both capable of hitting really high difficulty, low-percentage shots and kind of making those look easy. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I've been just really enamored with these, the Nuggets during this current winning streak. Um, he's getting good help from, you know, Jamal Murray stepped up. Uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is back, like I mentioned, and, and they're just back and rolling with that kind of consistent winning that we've come to expect from them over these last couple of years. Since the Jazz have the best record in the NBA, can I throw Rudy into the MVP category? Well, I, look, I'm not going to be able to stop you. I think if we've learned anything on the Internet, don't stand between you and a Rudy Gobert argument. Okay, that's what I've learned. I don't want to be on the wrong side of that like a Zach Lowe or some of these other guys who you've gone after recently.
I have not touched Zach Lowe. He just didn't want screen assist ever mentioned. By the way, there will be a screen assist tweet at some point because I swear the Jazz ran like 90 screen and rolls with Rudy Gobert against Chris Tapps to make him defend tonight. So I'm convinced that there will be um, probably uh, something of that sort. All right, we got to check in on Brooklyn, see what's going on with them. But first, Milwaukee may have regained uh, their rolling again. And let's go check in uh, with our local experts on the biggest stories. Milwaukee beat Toronto 115-108. to What's up, everyone? Kane Pittman here with Locked On Bucks. Just wrapping up the Bucks 115-108 win over the Toronto Raptors in Tampa. Uh, it was a difficult one. This one went down to the final minutes. The Bucks were able to hang on largely behind a big performance from Giannis, who missed out on a triple-double by just one assist that Drew Holiday actually missed a bunny uh, that cost him that triple-double. But the Bucks get away with the win. Drew Holiday came up with a big basket in the final minute. But the thing I loved about this game, Giannis, we spoke earlier in the week on Locked On Bucks about his patience on the in the offense, working in with new teammates, working off ball, getting his touches in different positions. He was super patient tonight. A number of beautiful bounce passes to teammates that generated easy points for this Bucks offense that has been up around number one uh, for the whole season so far. So all in all, a big win for the Bucks. Make sure you catch up with Locked On Bucks after this game and right through the week, Monday to Friday. Uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you guys then. New podcast out for you every day called Locked On Today. Ben Golliver, you are so NBA-centric, I'm not even sure you can handle Locked On Today because it actually touches on sports other than the NBA. So you can just stay with Locked On NBA like us doing it and all of our great Locked On Fantasy Basketballs. But Locked On Today is a quick 20 minutes recap of all the things that are important to you in the sports. Our lead story with the local experts on the biggest story. Our biggest question of the day with the radio experts from Radio.com as well as from Locked On and our Locked On experts on the various stories. You get everything you need to know in sports in 20 minutes at Locked On on today. Today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. That's where our car expert Ben Golliver goes to get his windshield wipers. That's at least what I say every single Thursday because they sponsor Thursdays on the Lockdown Podcast Network. But really, truthfully, Rock Auto is great because unlike the chain stores that have different prices for different tiers for mechanics versus do-it-yourself, Rock Auto always has the same prices for everybody and they're reliably low. Rockauto.com offers the lowest prices rather than changing prices based on what you need and they've got the largest selection and they're basic, unique, Easy to use, old school navigation website at rockauto.com. You choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. It's rockauto.com. Reliably low prices, same for professionals as do it yourselfers. Amazing selection. All the parts and cars you're ever, you will ever need at rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now. See the parts available that you need and write locked on in the how did you hear about us section. That's locked on in the how did you hear about us section so that they know who sent them. That's rockauto.com. All right, before we dig into Brooklyn and the 30-point explosions by James Harden and Kevin Durant and those guys fighting each other, there were a few surprises tonight in the NBA. Let's get a quick result on both those. The Spurs upend the Boston Celtics. Let's go to Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs. This is Jeff Garcia with Locked On Spurs here with a quick recap from the Spurs' 110-106 win over Boston in San Antonio. The Spurs got the win moving up to 10-8, and and what stood out was the fact that this young team were able to survive their own errors. They turned the ball over a season high 19 times. Really uncharacteristic for this Spurs team that leads the league in minimal turnovers per game, hovering around 10. Uh, yet they were able to withstand those errors and a furious rally by Boston in the second half. Uh, 
Spurs got outscored by Boston 37 to 21 in that third quarter. Boston had a double digit lead. Yet this young Spurs, in balance with their veterans, were able to get out on the fourth quarter in a 9 to 2 run to open up that final frame. And the Spurs were able to eke out the slim win. Again, what stood out is the balance between veterans and young guys on this roster. You have DeMar DeRozan pumping in 21 points, while Kelton Johnson has 18. Then you have veteran LaMarcus Aldridge with 20 points, knocking down three three three-pointers. Then you have a young Lonnie Walker chipping in with 14 points off the bench. You have Patty Mills with 12. So all in all, once again, the Spurs show that veteran and youth balance, which allowed them now to get win number 10 on the season. This has been Jeff Garcia with Locked On Spurs. Subscribe to Locked On Spurs wherever you get your favorite podcast. Ben, quite simply, how good is Boston? Well, they're another one where we're still waiting for them to kind of put all the pieces back together. I think this was one of the first games where they actually had kind of their quote-unquote big four or big three, however you want to determine it. So I'm still kind of in the TBD category. I'm still honestly waiting for there to be a truly great team coming out of the Eastern Conference. I think Philly made its case tonight – I'm still a little bit skeptical. I want to see them go out and do it on the road. Their home record is much better than their road record, and they basically look terrible anytime Joel Embiid is out of the lineup. So those things kind of have me nervous. I think with Boston, we know the ceiling is there because we saw it in last year's playoffs. I mean, they played some really, really good basketball. Jalen Brown, pencil him in as an all-star first-timer. Uh, Jason Tatum, you know, he's still one of the, the leading rising stars in the NBA, absolutely. But, um, you know, there's – there's kind of a bubbling storyline I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. Should there be regret with the Gordon Hayward decision? I mean, his numbers are spectacular in Charlotte. Had he, had they paid him and he stayed in Boston, his numbers aren't going to be the same, but I think you would feel better about how Boston matches up with both Philadelphia and with Brooklyn and, and arguably with Milwaukee too. If you had Gordon Hayward, uh, rather than not having him. And, and you think, okay, well, maybe if they make that decision differently, is Boston the clear-cut favorites in the Eastern Conference right now? There's an argument to be made there. So I'm not sure we've had enough second-guessing on that decision. Look, it's a lot of money. I understand why they uh, they didn't want to pay it. I do think it's better for Gordon Hayward's um, numbers and, and bank account and everything else for him to go down to Charlotte and try to carry that team. But it's just an interesting what-if from this last offseason that I think has gone kind of under the radar a little bit because – He's putting up these huge numbers in Charlotte, and obviously the Hornets don't get a lot of attention. So I actually think the what if is the Knicks. I don't know that he would have oh. stayed at Boston anyway. I don't know if Boston offered he stays. I think he wanted his own team and he wanted to prove himself. He was tired of everybody kowtowing to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown there, and he wanted out. I think the Knicks should have paid Gordon Hayward. Well, that's fascinating because, uh, you know, New York is at this situation where they're probably feeling a little ahead of, ahead of schedule, too. So maybe they're feeling way ahead of schedule and they're feeling like they're, you know, a lock for the playoffs if they had uh, if they had paid up to do it. I guess the question, though, is if you pay him, what does that do for your plans next summer? And maybe they've got something in the works with that new front office uh, regime as they're kind of getting themselves uh, acclimated. But if you look at next summer's crop at this point, after everybody signed extensions, there aren't too many players who are going to be available next summer who are going to be better than Gordon Hayward. I think ultimately it just comes down to his health, right? Like we, you knew he was going to be capable of, you know, these 25, five and four numbers or whatever he's putting up right now, if he's healthy and he has a green light, 
is he going to be able to do it for three or four straight years to make that contract pay off? I think that's a different question. All right, let's check in on one other surprise. Oklahoma City has really been scuffling. They've fallen off the map pretty badly recently, and now they all of a sudden stunned the Phoenix Suns tonight with a 102-97 win. Let's go to Ryland Stiles, our local expert on the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder just wrapped up a thrilling win over the Phoenix Suns. It was their fifth game on this road trip, their second five-game road trip of this month. They got down 17 points early. It would have been totally understandable if this team packed it in on getaway day, down 17. Instead, the Young Thunder fought back, and they won this contest behind SGA, who is putting up an all-star caliber campaign as he pours in 21 points tonight, along with seven rebounds, eight assists, two steals, and two blocks. Find out more on the Lockdown Thunder podcast wherever you get your podcast from. So that leads us to the Brooklyn Nets who get a win over the defenseless Atlanta Hawks in overtime, 132-128. Those two teams, they've got to play in the playoffs. They've got to play for seven games. These are the best <laughs> These are the best games in the NBA all this year. I mean, they've just been outstanding. 32 for Durant, 31 for Harden, 26 for Kyrie. Not a lot of bench, but we knew that about them. And those guys are those guys figuring it out, Ben? Well, the first thing, if they do meet in the playoffs, you know, they're really going to crank up the defense. So it will only be like 128 to 127, right? right? Um, I think that they're starting to figure things out a little bit. I still think Kevin Durant, number one, he's playing too many minutes. Another 42 minutes for him tonight because they had to go to overtime again. Steve Nash has talked about how difficult it is for him to balance the need for Brooklyn to win some games because they're only 12 and 8 right now versus – uh, you know, trying to manage Kevin Durant's minutes. You saw him play 50-plus last week. To me, this is inexcusable coming off of uh, an Achilles injury where he's racking up this level of minutes. I mean, it's tricky because they're a much worse team when he's not on the court. Like, he's the guy who sort of has great chemistry with James Harden. He has good chemistry, I think, with Kyrie Irving. You put Harden and, and uh, Kyrie together without KD, and I don't like the look of that for, uh, you know, Brooklyn at all. And then down the stretch of games, they really need Kevin Durant to basically not leave the court because he's, you know, arguably their best defensive piece or their most reliable defensive piece in those situations. So it's a tricky spot for them to be in, but he's playing too many minutes. And then he's also not touching the ball enough late in games. And so both that combination, I think, really irks me. But they did a nice job of um, isolating against Atlanta's weak defenders. You saw both Kyrie Irving and James Harden get themselves into favorable matchups either with Trey Young or Kevin Herter, and then just go to work and get really good shots. So it was a, a better late-game execution from Brooklyn than we've seen at certain points recently, uh, including some of the losses to, to Cleveland, where I thought they just didn't get the best quality shots late in those games. So I would say it was a step forward, but they've still got a ways to go, especially on the defensive end, um, as we're seeing night after night with them giving up just huge point totals to basically everybody. We look, we've run through the league. Something just struck me. Okay, Utah's rolling, Clippers are great, Lakers are great, Denver's clicked back in. Those four teams are better than anybody else in the West. You you with me on that? Those are the those are the four Western Conference contenders at this point? You, you with me there? I, I am, and I would say that those four teams could all win the Eastern Conference. I'm not sure there's a team in the East that could win the West. Agreed. Philadelphia, Milwaukee, we don't know about Boston, Brooklyn. So call it Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. Apologize to Indiana. We'll hear from Tony East in a second. Question to me is, is the, the Bradley Beal sitting there sulking after Washington? We'll hear from Jake Madison about the Pels win in a second. It not the question of like who's the next superstar traded. That's probably Bradley Beal, maybe Nikola Vukovic, maybe Aaron Gordon. They're not superstars, but high level player. You know, maybe it's Carl Anthony Towns. I don't think so. 
I'm trying to figure out who the team is that pulls the trigger. Who's the team that makes this move? I kind of hope it's Philly just to kind of keep up an arms race and, and to make things even more interesting. You know, I look at Milwaukee. I'm not sure they have enough assets. I look at Brooklyn, you know, similar situation. And, you know, unless somehow they're able to kind of work a Kyrie trade, which seems unlikely. Um, and, you know, so I think if you're going to be trading for Bradley Beal right now before the deadline, it's going to be a heavy premium price. It's going to be, you know, some percentage of the James Harden package. I mean, obviously something probably in the 60 to 75% range of whatever uh, Brooklyn had to give up for Harden uh, to get a player like Beal. I mean, that seems like kind of a failed fair ballpark. And the only teams that are going to want to do that are teams that are definitely in the uh, the championship race. To me, he would make a lot of sense um, in Philly's lineup uh, for sure uh, with the shooting, with the ability to be a, a, a playoff caliber defensive uh, piece if he's not uh, you know, asked to do quite as much as he's been doing on offense for Washington. So that's one team that I would circle. I don't know if, if Miami would want to try to roll the dice there, get him in there and, and have him as a longer-term piece. Uh, it would depend on how they feel he fits with uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, do you have another favorite destination? The two wild cards to me are Golden State and whether they think there's somebody out there that with Steph and Clay a year from now, if they think he's back and help Draymond and they trade the Wiggins contract with that or they trade the Oubre contract, but they don't really want to bring in more money, but they're just they're just only okay right now. So do they have some other piece they think – do they think any of these pieces are that good? And the other wild card is Toronto. But I don't know that either of those franchises are willing to move all their picks. Maybe they are. Maybe they think, you know, maybe Pascal Siakam and someone's good enough. Toronto moves all their picks. And maybe Steph Curry and someone is good enough that they are willing to move all their picks. So those would be – those are the two teams I'm watching that you didn't mention. Yeah, it would be kind of an anti-Messiah move. He likes to be on the other side of those deals usually, you know. Um, and, you know, when he did make the big swing for Kawhi Leonard, it wound up being such a bargain basement price. It almost doesn't seem real. real. Um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. So it would be a different tool than we've seen from Masai's, you know, general toolbox uh, in the past where, you know, going all in for a guy and, and trying to have him be kind of the over-the-hump piece. You go back to Denver, I mean, it was, it was constantly asset selling and, and to accumulate as many, uh, you know, other players and picks as he possibly could, like the Carmelo deal, for example. So, um, you know, I would, I would be more intrigued by the Raptors for sure if they did get a Bradley Beal but I almost wonder, should Toronto be sellers? You know, is this going to play out where we get to the trade deadline and they're looking to auction a Kyle Lowry to a team that's trying to get itself a, a point guard for the playoff run and then just retool with a younger group? I don't know. All right. Let's get the final two games we haven't touched on. Let's find out about the Pacers and their win tonight over the aforementioned Charlotte Hornets. Here's Tony East of Locked on Pacers. What's up, everyone? Kane Pittman here with Locked on Bucks. Just wrapping up. The Bucks 115-108 win over the Toronto Raptors in Tampa. Uh, it was a difficult one. This one went down to the final minutes. The Bucks were able to hang on largely behind a big performance from Giannis who missed out on a triple-double by just one assist that Drew Holiday actually missed the bunny uh, that cost him that triple-double. But the Bucks get away with the win. Drew Holiday came up with a big basket in the final minute. But the thing I loved about this game, Giannis, we spoke earlier in the week on Locked On Bucks about his patience. 
on the in the offense, working in with new teammates, working off ball, getting these touches in different positions. He was super patient tonight. A number of beautiful bounce passes to teammates that generated easy points for this Bucks offense that has been up around number one uh, for the whole season so far. So all in all, a big win for the Bucks. Make sure you catch up with Locked On Bucks after this game and right through the week, Monday to Friday. Uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you guys there. And the Pelicans blew out the miserable Washington Wizards. Jake Madison gives us the breakdown on that. This is Jeff Garcia with Locked On Spurs here with a quick recap from the Spurs 110-106 win over Boston and San Antonio. The Spurs got the win moving up to 10-8, and eight, and what stood out was the fact that this young team were able to survive their own errors. They turned the ball over a season high 19 times. Really uncharacteristic for this Spurs team that leads the league in minimal turnovers per game, hovering around 10, uh, yet they were able to withstand those errors and a furious rally by Boston in the second half. Uh, Spurs got outscored by Boston 37-21 to in that third quarter. Boston had a double-digit lead, yet this young Spurs, in balance with their veterans, were able to get out on the fourth quarter in a 9-2 run to open up that final frame, and the Spurs were able to eke out the slim win. Again, what stood out is the balance between veterans and young guys on this roster. You have DeMar DeRozan pumping in 21 points, while Kelton Johnson has 18. Then you have veteran... Lamarcus Aldridge with 20 points, knocking down three three-pointers. Then you have a young Lonnie Walker chipping in with 14 points off the bench. You have Patty Mills with 12. So all in all, once again, the Spurs show that veteran and youth balance, which allowed them now to get win number 10 on the season. This has been Jeff Garcia with Locked On Spurs. Subscribe to Locked On Spurs wherever you get your favorite podcast. 13 games and locked on NBA's covered them all. Ben Golliver, unbelievable. Thank goodness we had a COVID stoppage or we would have been pushed over the edge. Ben Golliver, thank you very much. Washington Post, grab his newsletter. Oh, yeah, the Warriors blew up Minnesota. We didn't mention that one. What's up, everybody? This is Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves. The Minnesota Timberwolves just fell to the Golden State Warriors for the second time in the last three days, this time losing by 12. They were down by as many as 20 early in the fourth quarter, but got it all the way back down to 10 points. Unfortunately, Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman down the stretch, a little bit of Andrew Wiggins was too much for the Timberwolves. They were led by Anthony Edwards, who had 25 points off the bench. They also got 25 points from Malik Beasley and a monster 19.7 rebound, 5 block, 3 steal game from Nas Reed. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't just Steph Curry. It was everybody else on the Warriors. Steph only had 16. He only had two at halftime. In a big third quarter, though, while the Warriors started to pull away. And again, it was Oubre, it was Wiggins, it was James Wiseman that did the Timberwolves in in this one. No Carl Anthony Towns, no D'Angelo Russell. Be sure to tune in to Locked On Wolves on Thursday. We'll hit the high points from the game as well as the studs and duds in terms of individual performances um, from Wolves Warriors. And then, of course, on Friday, we'll take a look ahead to Wolves Sixers on Friday night. Be sure to subscribe to Locked On Wolves wherever you get your podcasts. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day all right we almost mentioned every game we didn't mention sacramento <laughs> beating orlando we didn't mention every game we got awfully close though all right ben goliver thank you very much have a great week we'll talk again next week it's my pleasure man i look forward to it locked on today is our daily podcast on the with you 20 minutes recap of what's going on in the sports world every morning go out to your list subscribe on itunes or follow on spotify and listen every day to locked on today